I've kind of embraced new technology here. Nathan's helping me with it. They're, this is not like stone tablet that got engraved last night. <laughs> it's just a computer. <laughs> well, praise God. Feels good to be home. When I, when I get here, and uh, I'm looking at all of you in the room, I know I'm home. Uh, many of you know that, that I'm involved with the ministry that takes me away for a couple of weeks at a time. Next time I go, I have to be gone for at least three weeks and maybe four, and I'm not real happy about that, but it's okay. How many of you know God's in charge? Amen. <clears throat> three weeks is different. Three weeks being gone away from home, that's more than half a month. It involves a change in my schedule. How many of you know that many of us are not comfortable with change? <clears throat> I learned two things in college. One was the food wasn't half bad. <laughs> you know, it was pretty good. The cafeteria was all right, you know. And the other thing I learned was in a psychology course, there was a phrase they put up on the board that has stuck with me like glue. I've heard it other places because it's kind of a famous saying uh, having to do with human nature. Change is seen as loss and it's followed by anger. <laughs> it still makes me laugh because I've seen it happen thousands of times over and over and over again. People see change as loss and it's followed by anger. Uh, one of the messages uh, that I spoke here, I, I mentioned the cows that me and my brothers used to raise up in northern Georgia when we were together. Uh, we tried to keep four cows at a time. And uh, I love watching those cows, you know. And I need to apologize because I kind of talk about cows like they're stupid, but they're not stupid. How many of you heard the phrase, don't stare at me like a cow studying a new gate? How many of you have ever seen cows study a new gate? A pasture for a cow is their whole life. It's their whole world. And they can spend their entire life in one pasture. Does that make sense to you? You change one thing in that pasture on that fence line, and they're going to go stare at it. <laughs> we had four cows, and we named them, see if I can remember, it's easy enough, I love beef. T-bone, sirloin, GR, which was short for ground round, and the fourth one we simply called Chuck. Okay? <clears throat> we had a gate that was too far from the house, so we, me and my brothers went out, and we installed this gate, near the house. And the next morning when we got up, all four of them cows were standing in front of the gate and they're staring at it because it was new. It was different. It was change, right? Well, we figured, me and my brothers figured, these cows have had a meeting and obviously took a vote and they're going to try to stare this thing down. I don't know if they were trying to use the force or whatever, but they were cows studying a new gate because something in their world had changed. How many of you ever seen a dynamic, you know, change in your family? Maybe someone received some kind of diagnosis, a prognosis that wasn't positive. How many of you know that's change? That's change. It's a challenge, isn't it? How many of you, I mean, at work recently for me, I'll just get right down to what, what caused me to get down to the core of this message and, and why I, I may be the only one in the room and needs it. I don't know. You know, pretty selfish of me, isn't it? But at work, I had a boss that uh, who had been there with me for 15 years. He was a former command sergeant major in the Army, and uh, he became our captain in security on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, and I love that guy. 
And we were used to each other. I worked for him. I knew what he expected of me. I gave it to him. I got glorious evaluations. Everything was wonderful. And all of a sudden, recently, he retired. Along with half of the command structure that I worked for, they all went away. At corporate level and at security level in the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. So, naturally, change starts to take place, and they start hiring people. Half of the people they hired, I noticed, had no security experience on the pipeline whatsoever. How many of you know that's change? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was very, very uncomfortable for us at the field supervisory level where I'm at, out on the pipeline. Because you got these great people with these great leadership skills, but they don't know what we're doing out there, right? They don't know what we're doing. And it, it started frustrating the workforce. So now I'm the chaplain, I'm the counselor, I'm also a security supervisor, I'm a firearms instructor, all these things. So I'm in a leadership position where I have to answer their questions. The guys are scared. They're angry. Change is happening all around me. No one's ever had that happen on the job before, right? <laughs> I, I'm certain that we're not the only ones. Well, what do we do? We ask God, what do you expect us to do? What do you expect me to say? What do you want me to tell these guys? And in a time like that, you, you go to the Word, you're doing your daily Bible study or whatever, and you look and you see this story. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And this is dealing with the challenge of change. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. How many of you know that's change? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now. Say that with me. Now. One more time with a little more authority. Now. Therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of soldiers will cross the river Jordan at God's command. Right? That's change. All right? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into a land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. <clears throat> Change is almost always uncomfortable. We prefer a comfort zone, a place of safety. A comfort zone, a place of safety. However, I believe change is essential to keeping us in the middle of what God is doing. God never changes, but God is always changing things and people. Remember that. Change is an opportunity to grow in faith, an opportunity to experience more of God. What would God have us to do when we face changes and circumstances? First point of this message is this. The first point is, <laughs> Thank you, son. <laughs> Focus on God, not on people and circumstances. At the time of the command to rise, at the time that the command to rise was given to the children of Israel, they were focused on one thing and one thing only grief. Moses, who had led them around in the wilderness for 40 years who had reached a place in that 40-year journey where the people were confident following him. They felt stable with their leadership in place. And now he was dead. Moses had represented stability, confidence, and security. 
they were attached to him. It was all right to grieve or God would not have given them, and God gave them 30 days to grieve. Grief is a, is a, is a natural, necessary thing. Grief is. Amen? God allowed them to grieve for 30 days when he finally said, time's up. Time to rise up. It's time to move. It's time to go. Focus on God, not on people and circumstances. Given or grieving is part of a, ver of a very process of recognizing, or important process of recognizing loss. However, God's directive was, let's move on. Focus on what I'm telling you to do. Yes, change can be uncomfortable, but turn your focus on Jesus to hear him afresh and anew. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is telling his children, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I want to say, but God, I had that boss for 15 years. I had the same guy that when I picked up the phone and I called him and I presented him with a problem, he had an answer. God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You get a phone call from a doctor who tells you some bad news. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never, ever stay focused on People and circumstances because they'll scare you to death. People will say things about you and do things to you, but God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Every circumstance in your life can change and turn on a dime, but God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's the only thing that you can count on. It's the only thing you can count on. God says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. The second thing that we can do is expect God's grace to overcome the challenges of change. Expect God's grace to overcome the challenges. In Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, there was an obstacle that the children of Israel were going to face. I'm just going to read part of that passage of Scripture, and I'm going to focus on something with you here for a minute. The waters that came down from upstream stood still. Now, I, I studied this because I wanted to know, was it because God was about to stop the waters completely? And he did. He did stop the waters completely. And he dried up the river Jordan. It said the waters stacked up against themselves. And, and over 100,000 soldiers crossed on dry ground. The river Jordan dried up. But what I found out was that the waters were standing still initially, not because God stopped them, but because this was the absolute worst time of the year in the natural to cross this river, because it was at flood stage. The river was at flood stage. Now, isn't it amazing that God would come along and tell his children, to, it's time for change, we're going to make change, here are my instructions, do what I say. And it's easy for your focus to, to, to narrow down to the hurdles, to the things that get in the way, the things that you think, well, we can't cross the River Jordan. It's at flood stage. A massive army can't cross the River Jordan. It's at flood stage. 
And yet the waters began to stack on themselves and build up, and the, and the ground dried and the army crossed on dry ground. Wasn't the first time God split the waters, was it? Like I say, in the natural, it was the worst time of year to move an army across this river. And then I came across something else. I read a passage of Scripture, and I want to know if it was symbolic or if it was real, what part of the world it was about. In Jeremiah 49, 19, the prophet said of God, Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture. That is an important phrase, a perennial pasture. I will suddenly make him run away from her. I want, I want to know what a perennial pasture was. <clears throat> just, just listen to this because I'm, I'm trying to stay focused on, you know, where we need to go with this. What I found out was that when the River Jordan at the time of harvest every year, when the river would flood, it would displace wild animals. Does that make sense to you? So when the people in the area would go out to harvest, guess what else they had to look out for besides the flood? Being eaten by lions. <laughs> Now, over 100,000 soldiers crossed over the River Jordan. That's probably a conservative estimate. And they didn't have to worry too much about lions eating them. But can you imagine hearing that, you know, I, I love the Alaska wilderness, but I like to view it from the side of the road with a pair of binoculars and a camera. You know what I'm saying? I'm not interested in wandering off into the wilderness and in, in, in being on the menu. I don't want to be eaten by a bear. You know what I'm saying? So I don't tempt the situation. I just view with binoculars and a camera, and I can see things coming and going. I can get one of them reach out and touch someone's lenses, and I can take pictures. Does that make sense to you? But how would you like to be one of those people up there that you're standing in, in with the group, and you're getting ready to cross the River Jordan, and you, and you lean over and say, did you hear about the lions? <laughs> you know, like the water wasn't going to be enough for you to deal with. Now you might have to deal with lions, right? Well, what encouragement I received here was not to focus. Don't focus on the swollen river. Don't focus on the lions. Don't focus on the difficulties. Expect God. Listen to me now. Expect God. Next question is what? Expect God to do what, right? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know what I like about the English Standard Version? I haven't checked the other versions yet. But when it's talking about God, when it's talking about Jesus, and it uses the words Lord, what does it do? Capitalizes. Not only Lord. L's capitalized. O is capitalized. R is capitalized. And D is capitalized. I like that. <laughs> it helps me focus. It helps me draw my focus to where it needs to be. On the Lord. Now I will tell you this: this, this little proclamation here was God talking to the children of Israel. But what have I taught you before? And I'll teach you again. I'll say it again. First of all, it's easy for me to understand this because why? I'm crazy enough to stand here and tell you God loves me more than He loves you. <laughs> it's a joke, all right. But do you understand that everyone in the room, it, you should feel like God loves you more than anybody in the world. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, your name was on his heart and mind. He knew you before you ever lived, before you ever breathed. Your name was personally on his heart and mind. Why? Because he loves you so much. You need to focus on the fact that he died on that cross for you. 
for you. He has good plans for you, not evil plans. Don't focus on, the, on change for the sake of change. God's going to change things. You might as well get ready for it. You might as well set your focus on letting God be God. Amen? Amen. All right, third point. Expect fresh encounters and revelation. I love this. I love this point. Because Joshua, after he got that mighty army across the River Jordan, when they got to Jericho, what did he have? A visitor. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 2, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him. The first words out of Joshua's mouth are, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Did he answer the man's question? He did. He answered it in the only way he was going to. I'm going to pause here for a second to just say this to you. <clears throat> you know, at work, we can get real upset about what's happening in the hierarchy above us that we answer to. We can get upset, we can say all kinds of things, and we can talk about how right we are, and we can talk about, you know, our, our decisions about what's going on and what we think of it. And, and when we finally have an encounter with God, what's the first words we, that come out of our mouth? What do you want to know? And you know what he was asking, this, this individual, what he was asking the Lord? Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Think about that for a minute. How many of you want to be right? I want to be right. I want to be right. I, who wants me? I want to be wrong. <laughs> I think I want to be wrong today. <laughs> Name me GR. Name, call me ground round. I want to be wrong today, you know? No. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. But you know what the commander of the army of the Lord said? Because I'm going to read it again. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him. Are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to this servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, and where have we heard these words before? Take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out. None came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, see, say that with me, see. Now, they're standing in front of a city that's all locked up because of Israel. And what does the commander of the army of the Lord say? See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Listen to me carefully, because if you got your Bible with you, I challenge you, you go back and read this over and over again. Let me tell you what I learned from this. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. God is right. What is important is not whether you're right or wrong, because I'm going to tell you something. Most of the time in our own brain, we're just wrong. Can you accept that? Can you just accept it? When we try to figure out things on our own, most of the time we're just wrong. Can you, can you accept that? I can accept that. So what becomes important is not whether I'm right or wrong. It's What's important is, and where the focus needs to be on so that I can deal with change, is to just do what I'm told. That's what, this, that's what the commander of the army of the Lord said. He said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. 
Now I have come. So guess what it's time to do? Shut up and do what you're told. You may not like change. You may not, you may not enjoy change. You may not really love embracing change. But change is going to come. You can't stop it. So what you need to focus on, what did Jesus say? How many times have I said it to you over and over again? I'm not frustrated saying it. I hope you bear with me while I say it yet again. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will do what? You'll keep my commandments. Now, I'm a southern country boy, you know, and I boil that down. That Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Isn't that a, 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 another way of saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Because I never once heard Jesus make a suggestion. <laughs> never once. Have I ever heard anything, read anything, or heard anything in my heart or my spirit that sounded like a suggestion from Jesus, right? So all I got to do is focus on what he's telling me. It doesn't matter if I'm right or I'm wrong. You know, um, Brother Rob and I have some very interesting conversations, and he reminded me of something that's very, very, very powerful. How many of you know that, that God can do anything he wants to do? And never once is he required to report to you about it. He can do whatever he wants, and I don't even have to understand it. He's not obligated to explain himself to me. It could even look in my heart and mind like something that he wouldn't do, but if he chooses to do it, he doesn't have to answer to me. Change is inevitable. Don't focus on the change. Sharpen your focus on God. Focus on what Jesus Christ is telling you to do, and everything will be okay. I am glad, to be honest with you, that the ones that are in command of me and tell me what to do at work didn't hear everything I said in the beginning. Do you understand? <laughs> because I didn't slow down at first enough to get reattached to the word on the subject. All I have to do is what God tells me to do. I don't care what you're facing today. I don't care what the need is. I don't care what the challenge is. I don't care what the change is. God's still on the throne. Jesus Christ, didn't, none of this caught him by surprise. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for you right now. Right in the midst of the change that's going on in your life. I'm just beginning to wonder what I got so stirred up about at work. What worth it? You know, I came home. My wife was there, you know. You know, it, it was amazing to me to think about this. The children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And every morning they woke up, food was provided for them. Their clothes never wore out. Their sandals never wore out. There came a point where when it was time to cross the River Jordan, I got up that morning, and there's no more manna. The manna days are over. Today, you will eat in the promised land. No more manna. No more need for it. That was change. Ruthie, I don't believe there was one single walk-in closet in the entire wilderness. It's a little personal love joke. <laughs> Not a single walk-in closet. Didn't need to. 
clothes they were wearing never wore out. The sandals never wore out. They didn't need to make any clothing. They didn't need to make any sandals for 40 years. And then God said, it's time for change. And then he began asking them to do things and telling them to do things, telling them to do things that were impossible. But they'd been taught in that 40 years. They remembered why their parents weren't there. Their grandparents weren't there. Because people didn't handle change well back then. And they disobeyed God and they never saw the promised land. That's the thing I love about the story of the children of Israel get, finally getting into the promised land. You don't hear murmuring. <laughs> no one's fighting. No one's arguing. No one's questioning God. If anything, Joshua at one point told them, be quiet. Because it's better to say nothing than to say the wrong thing. Now, I know this message was for me, but maybe it was for you too. Amen? Amen. I mean, look, look at this. Focus on God, not on people and circumstances. Expect God's grace to overcome the challenges, right? Don't focus on the swollen river. Don't focus on the lions. Don't focus on all those difficulties. And expect a fresh encounter in Revelation. And then we talked about it. What was the first thing that Joshua wanted to know? Am, am I right or wrong? Doesn't matter. All that matters is that God is right. And we just do what we're told. Amen? Jesus is the head, and he expects all to submit. That's what the commander of the army of the Lord said. No. It isn't a matter of being for or against. You know, the Battle of Gettysburg, um, I, I'm from the South, and I'm a student in the Civil War, and, and history so enthralled me that it spilled over into my daughter's life, and she became a high school history teacher. You know, <clears throat> How many of you know where one of the biggest prayer meetings in the world that ever took place was the night before the Battle of Gettysburg on both sides of the battlefield soldiers many many it was one of the largest military confrontations in world history was the Battle of Gettysburg and both sides of the battlefield they were praying to the same God both sides believed they were right. And when you really look at it, at the hardcore part of it, the Confederates had decided to attack this one hill defended by a young lieutenant in the Union Army who was a Christian who prayed with his soldiers. A couple of hundred soldiers on the top of this hill were going to be attacked by 2,000, maybe 2,500 Confederate troops because they knew that's the spot where we need to break through. On one attack, they were repulsed. On the second attack, the lieutenant tells his men, fire one round and then charge. Charge with bayonets. And, and it, was, it was the turn of that battle at Gettysburg. A couple of hundred Union soldiers turned back a couple of thousand Confederate troops, and it was a big turn for that battle. But the night before, both sides had been praying. Wasn't about either side being right or wrong. It's what God was going to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? All that mattered was what God was going to do. A lot of people think they're right. But if you're not trusting God, if you're all so pig-headed that you can't let go of the fact that you might be wrong and let God be God, you'll miss a blessing and a possible fresh encounter and revelation from God. I'm going to pray for me. Make it easy for you. I'm going to pray for me.
but I'm going to give you an invitation if you want to be a part of the prayer. Because I, I still need to be able to go back, and, and what a privilege I have. I, I get to go back and I get to talk about Christian things in a secular job. There are eight people that I'll have in my presence immediately, and I'll be able to tell them what God wants me to say to them. And you know, what I'm going to say at this point, I'm going to tell them, quit worrying about it. We spent too much time talking about it. We spent too much time focused on it. Let's just let God be God. Do you understand what kind of miracle that is that I can do that at work? You know, and it's encouraged, you know. But I'm going to pray for me that God will finish telling me what he wants me to tell him and that he'll help me to the point where I embrace change when God brings it into my life. That I don't hesitate like I did this time. I hesitated. I need forgiveness. I need help. I need God to touch me. Amen?